Hello, and welcome to A Daily Walk with Pastor John Randall, a ministry of Calvary Chapel San Juan Capistrano. Open your Bible and join us, as together we seek to grow in our daily walk with the Lord. In light of the present circumstances, the Lord placed a message on my heart from the Old Testament. And if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you now to turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, with a message entitled, I See the Lord. You know, some commentators feel that the event recorded here in chapter 6 is Isaiah's calling into the prophetic ministry. Isaiah loved his people. He loved his nation. And within his prophecies, he actually identified with the people, referring to them over 26 times as my people. When Isaiah spoke to the nation on behalf of God, he referred to the Lord 25 times as the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah has also been referred to as the evangelical prophet. For no other prophetic writer in the Old Testament gave a clearer testimony to the future work of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul quoted or alluded to Isaiah at least 80 times within his epistles. You have all of Isaiah's messianic prophecies that are incredibly detailed. And there are in the scriptures more than 300 prophecies about the first coming of Jesus Christ, many of which are found in the book of Isaiah. But this morning we discover a time in which Isaiah was commissioned to prophesy to a nation that was rebelling against God. And he received this commissioning in the midst of a national tragedy. It says in verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah, also known as Azariah, became king over the southern kingdom of Judah at the age of 16. The Bible says that he reigned for 52 years. And when he stepped in to lead the nation, in many ways, the nation was in disarray. The previous administrations of both his father and grandfather were not faithful to the Lord. Yet Uzziah chose not to follow in their footsteps. For the very beginning, it says that Isaiah did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He surrounded himself as a leader with godly counselors like Zechariah, that the Bible says had understanding of the visions of God. He broke down the walls of nations, the nation's enemies that had oppressed them. And in their place, he built cities. Because of his strong leadership, surrounding nations brought consistent tribute to maintain peaceful relationships with Israel. The Bible says that Uzziah helped the farmers and the vine dressers because he had a love for the soil. He also built a strong military that consisted of 2,600 
officers that commanded 307,500 soldiers. And Uzziah gave unto the nation's military all that they needed to be victorious, even created new machinery by skilled workers. The Bible goes on to say that as long as Uzziah sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. The Bible also says that he was marvelously helped until he became strong. And when he was strong, it says that his heart was lifted up to his destruction and he transgressed against the Lord. At one point, Uzziah foolishly sought to go into the temple and burn incense, which was a privilege that was reserved only for the priesthood. And for his rebellion, the Bible says that the Lord struck King Uzziah with leprosy and he was thrown out of the temple. He completed the last 15 years of his career in an isolated house until the day of his death. And when he died, it was a complete tragedy for the nation because his son was incapable of leading and the people were in great distress concerning the future of the nation. Threatening clouds were already darkening the national sky as enemies of Israel gathered around. Chaos threatened as the young prince Jotham was now to come into office. The nation was on the brink of unraveling once again. And the prophet Isaiah, along with his nation, were grieving their loss. Nothing but uncertainty of the future surrounded them. What would they do now? This very day, many people are looking at our current circumstances as a nation, and we see a potential administration whose agenda includes death to the unborn, disregard for biblical marriage, and a disdain for the state of Israel. In our minds, what we see taking place is a tragedy concerning our nation. For Isaiah, at this critical moment in his history, he made a decision. Who was he going to look to for strength to carry on? Out of this national crisis and personal despair, Isaiah made the decision to look to the Lord. There was no earthly king who could help. All other solutions and options were not available. The Lord became the nation's only hope. Isaiah had nowhere else to look but up. And in that moment of looking to the Lord above and beyond the chaos which threatened the land, Isaiah saw in a vision the God of order and sovereign authority ruling over the affairs of the earth. The Bible says he looked to the Lord and he said, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. In the midst of heartache, in the midst of despair and fear of the future, Isaiah looked beyond the circumstances to the God of heaven. He was given this unique opportunity to look beyond the visible to the realms of the invisible and see the majesty of our God. He saw God enthroned, sitting upon a throne, the symbol of sovereign authority in charge of everything in heaven and on earth. You remember that the psalmist declared in Psalm 121, 
I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. When Isaiah looked to the Lord, he discovered that although the earthly king was no longer on his throne, the heavenly king of kings was still seated upon his throne and reigning over all. Sometimes the Lord may remove the things that we are trusting in in order that we would trust in him. Perhaps we've set up idols in our hearts or our security is in someone or something other than the Lord. And when those things are removed, we find out what we're truly trusting in and who it is that we're looking to. Listen, church, this is where we must direct our attention at this very moment to the throne of God and to our Lord, the one who is seated upon it. Whether in personal tragedy or in national crisis, we look to the Lord who is seated upon the throne. And like Moses, it says concerning in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Listen, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. How are you going to be able to endure? You have to be able to see with eyes of faith him who is invisible. Sometimes we forget to walk by faith. And the way that we respond, it would seem that God had vacated his throne, but he hasn't. There are several references to the throne of God in the Bible. Jesus called heaven God's throne. In Isaiah 66, it says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. When the Bible speaks, folks, of God's throne, the emphasis is on God's transcendence, his dignity, his sovereign rule. Within this prophetic vision, Isaiah sees the magnificence, the splendor, and the exaltation of Almighty God. God's throne is a place of power and authority. God's throne is a place of majesty and honor. God's throne is a place of perfect justice. God's throne is a place of sovereignty and holiness. God's throne is a place of praise. God's throne is a place of purity. It's a place of eternal life, and it's a throne of grace where we can come to receive help in time of need, and we're in need. And one day, one day, all creation will bow to the majesty of God's throne. And all will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. My friend, if I can encourage you today, turn your eyes toward heaven this morning and see that God is still in control and that he is working all things together for his purpose. Even at this moment, we don't exactly know what that purpose is. But he does. In looking to the Lord, Isaiah saw that the Lord was there. And there were also angels, it says, that were surrounding the throne of God. It says in verse 2, above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, they covered their face. Two, they covered his feet. And two, he flew. And one cried to another, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full 
of his glory. The angelic beings that the prophet perceived were called seraphim, and their characteristics are symbolized for us here. Each of them had three pairs of wings. First of all, it says that their faces were covered. With two, they covered their faces, which was a picture of reverence, of the impossibility of looking at the full glory of God. It says also with two wings, they covered their feet. The feet in scripture are a picture of earthly personal activity where you go. And by covering their feet, the angels were testifying in a sense that their authority is a derived authority. It doesn't spring from them, but from the one whom they worship and serve. And then it says they also flew a symbol of ceaseless activity and swiftness in service. Thus the seraphim, or the angelic order, concerned with the beauty and the majesty of the one whom they serve, they serve in reverence, humility, and they are eager to carry out his work. But not only did the prophet see the angels, but he heard them worshiping the greatness of God, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The phrase holy, 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 it appears twice in the Bible, once in the Old Testament here, and then once again in the New Testament in Revelation chapter 4 verse 8. And on both occasions, the phrase is spoken or sung by heavenly creatures, and both times it occurs in the vision of a man who has been transported around the throne of God. And when the angels are around the throne and they say holy, holy, holy. They are in essence expressing with force and passion the truth of the supreme holiness of God. It is an essential characteristic of his majestic nature. He is holy. It means that he is completely different. It's completely separate from his creation in the sense that he's set apart from all. He alone holds an elevated position of sovereign authority above everyone else. He is God. He is holy. And the prophet heard the angels declaring the whole earth was full of his glory. From Isaiah's earthly perspective and point of view, things seemed hopeless. The king was gone, and the nation appeared to be on a trajectory of total ruin. However, from heaven's point of view, the angels declared the whole earth is full of his glory. The Bible says in Psalm 24 that our God is the king of glory. Jesus is called the Lord of glory. In Psalm 19, it says the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. It amazes me today, friends, that in this universe of ours, of order and design, that mankind fails to recognize the glory of God. The universe, so incredibly vast, astronomers tell us, that even our own galaxy is 300,000 light years across. Light traveling at 11 million miles per minute takes 300,000 years to navigate it. There are millions and even billions of galaxies like ours and larger than ours that were simply flung out into space. Then you could turn and you consider even the smallest form of matter, the atom, 
We, we see a miniature universe amazing with distances on a relative scale as vast as the cosmos itself. Think of the beauty and the order of the world of nature or of mankind with our amazing capacities that we have. If only we had eyes to see, we would know what the seraphim were declaring. The whole earth is full of his glory. Just look around and see it. Allow the Lord to open your eyes. The Apostle Paul pointed out that creation... He said, what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it. For since the creation of the world, his invisible, his invisible, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that man is without excuse. Why is man without excuse? Because the earth is full of the glory of God. Folks, the Bible tells us that one day that all the earth will be filled with the glory of God. Habakkuk chapter 2 says the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The earth filled with the glory of God. Presently, but even more so in the future. Isaiah had to see beyond what he could see. And we must as well. Let me ask you a question this morning. What do you suppose that heaven's perspective is on the present earthly circumstances? Are we this morning trusting in an administration or are we trusting in the king of heaven? Who are you trusting in, friend? Who are you looking to today? Prayerfully, you're looking to the king of heaven. We know what heaven's perspective is. It says that God was seated on the throne. It doesn't say he was pacing. Do you know what's going on down there? Do you know about the fraud that's happening? Guys, guys, angels, descend. Do you know what's going on? As if God is worried or panicking. Listen, all things are working together for his plan, for his purpose. Trust in God today. Trust in God. As Isaiah looked to the Lord... He heard the angels surrounding the Lord, declaring his holiness and his glory. And then Isaiah, here's where it gets amazing. He had this glimpse of the Lord, and he saw him, but then also he saw himself. Look at what it says in verse 5. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In previous chapters, Isaiah had pronounced several woes upon the nation. But now, he declares a legal charge against himself. Now that he saw the majesty of God, his self-evaluation in light of the glory of God is, I'm ruined, I am wrecked in light of who God is. Man has fallen so far. Although originally created in the image of God, There's no pride in this declaration. There's there's only humility. There's this marvelous understanding that in light of who God is, I am undone. There's this, this abject humility. And let me tell you something, friend. If you want to have a clearer glimpse of God, it starts with you humbling yourself before God. That's where it begins. Isaiah had to come to this place before he was called out to proclaim the truth of God, to see himself in light of God. And there was no self righteousness, only 
recognition of his own sinfulness. And Isaiah was undone because he said, I have unclean lips, which is an indication I have an unclean heart. Out of the abundance of the mouth, out of the abundance of the heart, rather, the mouth speaks. His heart was unclean, and now we could see it. He saw, it's my heart. I'm not looking at the nation. I'm not looking at the leaders. I'm not looking at them. Right now, I have a vision of who God is, and I see myself in light of it, and I realize I'm undone. God needs to do something in my heart. God wants to do something in his church. He wants a pure bride. He's doing something in his church right now, and he's using all of these things to accomplish it, friend. It's happening right now. His winnowing fan is making its way through the church, dividing the wheat and the chaff, those who are going to stand and those who are going to fall, those who are going to follow after him and those who are going to walk away. Which category are you in this morning? And I look at my own heart and I say, God, I've seen some things over the last six months, over the last few days. And I realize there is much work left to be done in this heart. There are moments when God will reveal what's within our heart. And you can't draw comparisons to other people. But in light of the glory of God, like Isaiah, we say, Lord, I'm undone. Oh, the psalmist declared in Psalm 19, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my God, my strength and my redeemer. This is the place that the calling of God upon our lives begins. It begins with humility and brokenness before God. It starts with a recognition of our own sinfulness and need for God. And the effect of understanding who the Lord is and what he has done should cause us to see our own unworthiness in light of his holiness. And that's when things begin to change. Job saw himself in light of the Lord and he repented. Peter saw himself in light of Jesus and he said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Paul said, I'm chief of sinners. Those who have a true experience with the Lord are those who are humble before him and others. Anyone who walks in pride hasn't had a clear vision of the Lord. And so Isaiah confessed his sin to the Lord. He repented. And when he did, when he admitted, I'm unclean, I'm undone, notice that everything changed in that moment. It says here in verse 6, then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand there was a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Folks, this coal was not taken from the altar of incense, which stood before the door of the Holy of Holies, but rather it was taken from the brazen altar, from the courtyard where sacrifices were offered, where redemption was taken place, where forgiveness would follow. And that brazen altar foreshadowed the one who would come and be the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of the world who would lay down his life that we might be forgiven. And when Isaiah confessed his sin before God, he was forgiven, his sin was cleansed, he was purged and refined. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter eight, verse 12, the Lord declares, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. John writes in his first epistle, and he says in 1 John chapter 2, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. 
the mercy and the forgiveness and grace of God available to us. Friend, your sins can be forgiven because Jesus died in your place on the cross. He purchased your salvation, your redemption. Following this confession and cleansing, Isaiah is now commissioned. He was called to the ministry of the prophet. Notice verse eight. And also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Whom shall go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go. Now that Isaiah had confessed his sin, been cleansed from his sin, he's able to hear from the Lord. And he hears the Lord saying, who are we gonna send? Who's gonna go for us? Who's gonna represent us to this fallen world? Who's gonna go out and proclaim the truth? Who's available? And Isaiah very humbly said, here I am. If you can use me, I'm available. And then the Lord gave Isaiah the permission to go. I wonder if you're available for God. I wonder if the Lord would say to this morning to us in this group, as the Bible says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. He's looking for those to show himself strong on their behalf. As the eyes of the Lord run through this audience today, I wonder if the Lord said, who's gonna go for us? If you would say, I'm here, send me. Or are you one of those people that says, here am I, send them. Send her, Lord, send him. Not me, but I'm still here. No, you want to be the person responding. Isaiah said, I'm here, Lord. If you can use me, I'm available. I don't have much to offer you, but I, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I surrender to you. Guys, that's really what God's looking for. He's not looking for, he's not the divine talent scout. All right, let's see what you got. Come on up. Who's next? Sorry, you're out. I, you know, it's, God's not like that. It's not great talents that God blesses. It's great likeness to Jesus that he blesses. That's what God blesses. That's what he's looking for. But Isaiah was told from the very beginning, and you need to hear this and so do I, it wasn't going to be easy. It says right here in verse 9, tell this people, listen, they keep on hearing, but they don't understand. They keep on seeing, but they don't perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, their ears are heavy, shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return to be healed. The Lord says, hey, Isaiah, I just want you to know what I'm calling you into. I want you to know what you're up against. You're up against the people who see, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't want to hear. They have a heart, but it's hardened to the things of God. This is what you're going to be confronting. This is what you're going to be engaged in. This is the battle that awaits you. You're going to be preaching and you're going to be declaring the truth and people aren't going to want to hear it and they're going to be opposed to you. Things are going to get difficult. It's good. They're deaf. They're blind. They're dead. That's what you're dealing with. And friend, listen, many in this world today, alive, physically, spiritually dead, spiritually blind, hardened heart, don't want to hear, may even oppose it. Thanks for joining us today for A Daily Walk with Pastor John Randall. You'll find us online at adailywalk.org. That's a good place for resources to help you grow in your daily walk. If you'd like prayer or have questions or comments you'd like to share with us, our email is adailywalk at gmail.com. 
You can also reach us by phone at 877-242-0828. That's 877-242-0828. To watch today's message again or any message you may have missed in the series, download our free app. Simply search CCSJC. Be sure to stay tuned with Pastor John on Instagram at John P. Randall and on Twitter at PJRandall7. Make sure to join us next time when we'll again open the Word together seeking to apply God's truth to your daily walk.